Welcome to The Peg Doesn't Fit. This is a podcast about the need for an educational paradigm shift. We have not quite decided if education is the whole or if it is the peg, but one thing is for sure, it doesn't fit. Join us each week as we explore a metaphor and discuss the need for a systemic shift in the American education system. Here are your co-hosts, Ryan Bartle and Eric Steven. Thanks for that intro, Joey. Always good to hear your voice. I am Eric Steven. And I'm Ryan Bartle. And we welcome you back to The Peg Doesn't Fit. So before we get started, let's just do a little, uh, let's get our listeners up to date with our lives. What's been going on with you all week, Ryan? Our live story. Well, yesterday, my girlfriend and I went hiking, well, traipsing, I don't know what the word was. We have a creek that runs for the full mile section along um, my property, and uh, we followed the deer trails around in there, and it was kind of fun because my son and I have actually built a bike trail through there. But yesterday, as we explored a little further than normal, uh, I found a huge, uh, I don't know if you call it four-point or eight-point buck. Are you a, a hunter? I, I am not a hunter. I don't know. Well, this one had four points on both sides, so I don't know if that makes a four-point or eight-point eight Buckhead, but it was complete and it had vertebrae attached to it still. It had the jaw. Um, it, oh, was it was massive. Not, it was not living. It was not living. This was a dead skull of a, a buck that I found just kind of laying up against a tree. So I don't know what brought it there, but that was pretty awesome. So I brought it back to my barn and it's sitting in there until I figure out what to do with it. Oh my God. Was it decomposed? It was fully decomposed. It was just skull. All right, so again, just reminding our listeners that uh, I'm not trying to stereotype our state of Kansas. He's a city kid. (laughs) Ryan definitely lives in the country, uh, so there is more to Kansas than hunting and hiking and farming. Um, My week was a little interesting. My my son, you know, I was out for COVID, so he's actually been on a 21-day quarantine. So on Sunday, his, his band... He takes these band, they, he, he takes drum lessons and then each week they have rehearsals and they have a band. Anyway, it was their closing concert. So he'd been out, he hadn't practiced, we hadn't been to an official practice in 21 days. And I got a chance to go to his concert and, and check that out. And that was, uh, I was really impressed that my son, he's only been playing drums for about six months, but he, um, he does a really good job. And this time I even motivated him by telling him that I would pay him and I'm not going to tell you how much I said I would pay him, but he did sing a song, and I was uh, very impressed mm-hmm. at, at how that came out. I mean, he had pretty good stage presence. He was up there dancing and singing, and his Black Sabbath. So cool. uh, I was pretty excited to see that. He's got one more concert in that, and then he is going to transition into the next band, Academy. He's going to do a little My Chemical Romance. Mm-hmm. So I am uh, I'm pretty excited to see his drumming career take off and uh, and continue into My Chemical Romance, who is actually uh, a very good band that I like to listen to a lot. So I'm looking forward to listening to my son play some music that I like to listen to. All right, let's roll into the Tweet of the Week. And if any of you listeners ever want to help participate in our show by showing us a tweet that you really found some inspiration in, feel free to retweet that to our hashtag that we are trying to create. It's uh, hashtag the peg doesn't fit. So if you see a cool tweet that you want us to mention in the show, uh, just retweet it and hashtag it and we'll check it out. And if we feel the same way you do, we will read it on our show. This one comes from a guy named Yancey Sanderson. 
at Yancey Sanderson, Y-A-N-C-E-Y, Sanderson, S-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. I'll put it in the show notes. But here is his tweet. Grades don't improve learning. Grades don't indicate level of mastery. Grades are a relic of an outdated system. Kids only care about grades because adults convince them they are a true measure of success. Parents and colleges are the biggest barriers to overcome. And I think this tweet is perfect because we ended our show last week with Ryan saying that he wanted to talk about the traditional grading system and whether or not grades are have meaning. We'll stay away from the words that, how did you initially describe grades, Ryan? They're stupid. And I think I actually heard you say they were stupid in a past episode. My opinion keeps vacillating from <laughs> stupid to meaningful. I don't know. That's that's one reason we have this show so we can talk about it. But let's the one thing that I love the most about this tweet, other than the fact that he has explaining that grades aren't um, valuable, is that he says that parents and colleges are the biggest barriers to overcome, and that's what I think that we're going to be focusing on. Uh, the next few weeks as we talk about grades, primarily the universities, uh, the colleges, how can we look to a K through 12 educational system? Well, K through five, most places don't have grades anyway. So secondary uh, education in America is based off the letter grade system. And if we think that that isn't really a true descriptor of what the kid's capable of, how can we move into a world where we do away with that, where the college universities, where we're ultimately preparing our kids to go, pretty much depend heavily and, and value a grade point average as an, as an admission type standard. How can we do away from that in our American secondary system when we're trying to prepare them to go to a place that uses that grading system to evaluate whether or not they want to accept them into the university? Very true. Uh, I. I'm excited to talk about this over the next while because uh, I think when you look at where we need to start when we change education, ultimately, when we think of this as a business of learning, uh, our customers are the, depending on what lens you're looking through, the customer is the society with which we are sending our K-12 children off to. And whether that's the workforce or a university or back into their parents' homes, Generally, society, in general, they want to see something for what did the kid learn while they're in the walls of the school. And so I would agree with Yancey Sanderson that grades aren't that a very accurate measure of that. So we can't just say do away with something without replacing it with something better. And I have been doing a lot of research, and there's a lot of great stuff out there. Um, things I mentioned before with the interoperable learning record, there are schools, universities, K-12 institutions, Broward County, uh, New Jersey for one, that are working on providing a valuable, viable alternative to grading. But this is going to be slow change, but I think it's the place to start. Well, and one of the things that I'm, I'm really looking forward to over the next few weeks is, and I've, I've never been... Um, I've never been one to advertise that we are the experts and we know everything. We we just like to talk about this kind of stuff. And to be honest with you, I, this is such a big shift. It's such a big paradigm shift that I, I don't even know 
kind of where to start because it, it does it is much bigger than just a school or just a district or just a state. Um, it's a big deal, especially when we're talking about colleges and and how they accept it. But um, one of the things that that I do want to talk about is just kind of I want to speak for all of you teachers out there that hear this argument that grades are stupid and grades are meaningless. Um, that appropriately use grades because it's not fair to say that grades aren't a good measure of success. Um, a lot of times that argument comes from the fact it's because some teachers give grades for uh, bringing Kleenex boxes or, or extra credit or study skills or whatever. I mean, there's really no standard in a classroom to say what equals a grade. Right. And, and there are teachers that are very good at giving grades and their grades really do mean stuff. And then there are teachers that water their grades down to where their grades don't mean as much. And, and it's unfair to you teachers that are correctly, have your classroom set up in the way that you assess and you, you do measure their success through that letter grade system that have a good plan. So I guess the argument is, is how do we convince the teachers that feel that their grades are really working that there's a better way? And I don't know the answer to that. I think part of the system part, the, the systemic issue is what you're addressing because yes, you could give a, an assessment and I think that's what we're looking at is the letter grading system is somewhat vague and inaccurate, but I still think you need to assess where these learners are and so what we are saying is teachers that do grades right are the ones that are able to assess children's skills properly and that's really like that systemic piece um, the interoperable learner record again or ILR um, that paper that I read uh, they said part of that's called the ontology like what what are we agreeing that these grades mean and what is what is kind of like the structure with it within um, that we're, we're assessing when we're talking about kids and making sure that we're all talking about the same thing because I what I have thought about is even two different teachers that think they're doing the same thing may not be if that underlying understanding isn't correct just like I remember in my early days of teaching when we were rating kids on the sixth trait learning or sixth trait writing model and when that thing was big we would have calibration sessions looking at the same papers or same stories from students and making sure that we all agreed whether their word choice, their ideas and content, etc., whether we all agreed on those same scores. And even that took a while. And so I think that's probably the broader argument is that you can call it letter grades, uh, standards reference grading, uh, competency-based grading, whatever you want to call it. The, the important part is are we calibrated as to what those assessments mean? And, and we'll, we'll wrap this little segment up because we've got a special treat for you here in a second. Um, but I think we can both agree that, that where we need to go, however that happens, is that at the end of the course, a teacher needs to be able to adequately convey to the student and to parents and to universities or whoever those stakeholders are, what skills a student has mastered throughout the year and what skills a student needs to still work on. 
And I think that's where grades don't really give you that answer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you brought it up, the standards race, the standards rate grading, um, uh, standards, based. Ba standards based gradings. Or reference. Or reference grade, that's the word I was looking for, reference. Um, but if we could set up a system to where at the end of each course, because each course should be driven by the standards that the state um, tells you the students should be able to master by the end of a grade level, the key is, is as the teacher, are you able to adequately explain which standards each student has mastered? And that's where we want to get into that interoperable, I, I can't even say that word. Learner did I say, record. Did I, did I say it right? Interoperable. Uh, we want to start talking about some different ways to do that. And I'm going to tell you right now, we have got a treat for you. We have the opportunity to book this guy, Corey Hinwood. He is a speaker, a consultant, a coach, and if you haven't had a chance to check this out, he's got a TEDx talk called Empowering Future of Education. And I first watched that when we started this podcast and I, and I actually retweeted that video and I said, this is exactly the theme of what our podcast is going to be because this guy, is dynamic we're going to put a link to this website or to that tedx talk and, and his website and we'll put a link to his website in our show notes but with no further ado i would like to welcome corey henwood to the peg doesn't fit welcome corey to the show we appreciate you for joining us Hey, it's great to be here with you, Eric, Ryan. Hey, why don't we just get started by you giving us maybe just a little brief uh, description of your history and, uh, and the trajectory and, and, and maybe kind of how it all began and when that light bulb first went off that you think that things needed to, to change a little bit in education. Sure. Well, you know, I've been in education the last 10, 11 years now, and um, I started, of course, as a teacher, and I think really as things started to change in the state I was at at the time, which was California, and there were shifts being made towards uh, Common Core, it just made me question everything that I'd already begun uh, to do as a starting teacher and started to look at, hey, what do I really want to spend time with my students doing? Do I want to spend time? I was a math teacher. Do I want to spend time uh, really hammering in all the procedures uh, things that many of my students were cheating, if you will, on, right? Uh, looking up the questions on, uh, or the answers on the calculator or the computer or uh, mm -hmm. the phone or whatever else. Or do I really want to spend time uh, developing problem-solving skills, uh, diving into things that they're interested in, that they're going to be able to apply, and spending a lot more of my time in person with them on those things, and uh, focusing on what I would consider real work and uh, real learning. And and so I made, started to make those shifts as a teacher, uh, went from there to making those shifts as a, a principal at a private school. I was a principal uh, in a small private school for a while. And uh, then now at the district level, uh, making those shifts throughout our, our district. So, Excellent. For you, um, as you, as you look at the district level that you're at, do you, do you kind of try to keep your eye on this is not a question uh, that I, I'm thinking of this top of my head, but do you have your eye out for those that have that similar light bulb popping out? Absolutely. So, I mean, part of the work I've been doing lately has been working with and trying to find those who are really willing to innovate mm -hmm. and change and uh, who are accepting of those kind of transitions in education and using their strong motives to innovate and change 
towards meeting the same goals that you and I have about education. So part of that has been to provide them funding, um, time, tools that they need to make those changes and really highlighting the great work that they're doing. Others have been with, uh, for example, the new school that we've put together, our competency-based school, uh, Launch High School, has been to, to pull them in and to have them teach with us and plan our curriculum. And, and uh, yeah, I'm not shy about saying that I basically handpicked every person that's had a part in that because I knew their personality and the work that I've been able to do with them in uh, some of the innovation work I'd done previously really played into that. So, so how did you make that transition like with, with launch high school as you, as because that was, was that a doing competency based? Was that different than the typical, you know, letter? Well, let's, let's slow down on that because I want to get into that competency base. Cause that's, that's one of the things we've been talking about with, but you're kind of like our perfect segue because we, we just got through doing some sessions on or some episodes. Um, you know, we went on to Microsoft.com. We we're doing the 21st century learning design. So everything that you just kind of talked about is everything that we've been talking about, setting up projects and, and really having the teacher kind of take that step backwards and really put more of the work on the front end in the planning component and setting kids up to be successful to uncover their own information and really to own their own learning. And that's really kind of been the focus. And we want to shift to letter grades. Ryan has famously on our show indicated that he feels grades are stupid. I try to be a little bit more politically correct, but it's clear <laughs> that grades don't necessarily paint a picture of what the student knows, you know? So just kind of to help us segue from that, those episodes into our grading episode sequence, what are your general thoughts of the letter grade system? Well, there are a lot of things to pick at there for the letter grade. I mean, really, it is just um, a familiar but incredibly ambiguous symbol, right? Doesn't tell us a whole lot about what has been learned, uh, what is transferable, what uh, at what level. Uh, mastery has occurred when you look at each aspect of the learning. So, you know, as a math teacher looking at, do my students know uh, their fractions, percents, decimals coming into middle school? Uh, do they know that stuff? Well, are they proficient with it? Where are the gaps? Giving them an overall grade of a B plus, you really have no clue um, what they know and what they don't know. And that's, a, and that's an important factor uh, when you're talking about grades. Now, uh, there's lots of different ways to go at it, uh, to transition away from that, from a very smooth or uh, low threshold of buy-in, very simple transition to more of a standard space report to a very totally different um, and extremely reimagined kind of look at a, a different type of transcript and, and report to parents. So yeah, I, and we've run the gamut a little bit in the schools I've been in. And I can tell you a little bit about any of those. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm, since you talk about parents, that was the question I got uh, so kindly interrupted for <laughs> to make the smoother transition. Um, I was curious about when you start these, these schools as, or launch high school specifically, how do you create that, uh, I guess, the knowledge transfer for the, the people out there in the community, the parents, even the students that are used to the grades. Yes. What, what's that process for saying, hey, we're going to do something new here? Well, the unique thing about Launch High School is it's a magnet school or school of choice for our students in our district. And so it's very much pitched to folks who are looking for something different. 
Okay. Which is the nice thing about it, right? It's a, it's the beauty of this kind of choice-based model. Whereas the other work we've done in our district towards a standards-based report has not been an optional. And that's a totally different conversation because now you're catering to those who maybe didn't or wouldn't feel comfortable with transitioning. And you're explaining all the nuances of how to transition from a traditional letter grade to a more detailed standards-based report. So I can get into either of those, I suppose, with you, but there's really a big difference with how we've communicated with parents at our competency-based choice high school, launch high school versus, you know, the traditional everybody's. Well, uh, fill us in on the traditional because, you know, and you mentioned this in your TEDx too. I mean, a lot of the reason we do letter grades is, is one is because that's what we've always done. And, and that's kind of what parents expect. You know, I mean, we, we are starting to roll out standards reference grading in our district. Um, and we're doing it kind of piecemeal grade level at a time. And, and it's what's challenging about that is because everybody is so used to the letter grades that they've written a formula to convert the standards yes. reference grading into a letter grade. The problem is, is that standards reference grading is, is kind of designed to show a progression of improvement. So those initial letter grades are really low, you mm -hmm. know? So, so what have you guys done in your district to kind of, and I don't know if you convert those to letter grades or you're just flat yeah. out standards reference. Um, you know, how, how are you having that conversation with the traditional parents? Cause I think that's what most of the people that are listening to our podcast have are mm -hmm. traditional parents. Yeah, and, and in our K-6 uh, systems, we've stuck with just a standards reference report without a conversion. Um, in some of the higher stakes as you get through to the high school, uh, we've, we've done a conversion. And I'll tell you a little bit about how we make that work. At least uh, our initial move in this was to say, here are, have the teachers lay out their guaranteed and viable curriculum. Maybe that's 10 different elements in their course or their quarter or semester. Here are the things that I need students to know. And then as they um, receive kind of uh, scores in each of those proficiency levels in each of those, that is what calculates towards a grade. So for example, if we've only covered the first one or two of those things, it's just those elements that would uh, work into the grade and not all 10. So you wouldn't have a score of, if I've mastered the first two and all we've covered is the first two, you wouldn't have a score of 20% and an F. In fact, you'd have a you'd have, you know, a hundred percent and you have an A. And, right. and so um, the way we do that, just based off that 10 idea, if you will, is that the number of those pieces of guaranteed um, and viable curriculum that have been either met with proficiency or above is what translates into your grade. So if you've met two of two, then you have a hundred percent. If you've met one of two, you have 50%. Now, ultimately, as things go along further in the year, you know, you've got uh, 10 things. If you've met eight out of 10 of those, you end up with an 80% or a B minus in the class. Okay. And so the, the conversion seemed fairly, you know, self-explanatory. Uh, it's a percentage of how many of these things you've met instead of some other weird category of weighting and points and this particular assignment's worth, you know, way more than the others and your homework's worth 10% and your behavior's worth another little bit. It just was Everything is equal in there and each piece is what we expect students to get out of this course. So we expect all students to get an A because that's what we're saying is guaranteed and viable. But in reality, some kids just in the time we have allotted with them don't quite get there and, mm -hmm. and that's where they end up. Well, let's, let's talk about the, the, the competency-based program. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the things, and, I, and, and I, you, know, you can talk about how you, you grade it, but one of the things that we've been talking about, maybe this is gonna be outside of your competency-based, 
Um, we really like the idea, like for instance, we did that 21st century learning design. When you complete it, you get a cool little badge, you know, that everybody knows that you have accomplished this task, you know, yes. and we think that it would be super cool if we had our, our grading system set up to where if you master a particular standard, you receive a badge in an electronic backpack to, to show that you have mastered that standard. Have you heard of or anybody that is doing something like that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So our partner uh, at the Mastered Transcript Consortium has something similar. They don't call it badges, but they call them mastery credits. And the credits show up on the front page of the transcript. Uh, they're the highlight of everything. There's not a list of letter grades on that transcript. A second page later shows the list of courses completed. But the front page is really about what are those badges, if you will, that the students have earned. Sure. And so in our school, we base it off of our school and our district's portrait of a graduate, which highlights eight essential skills that students need to be. And those are transferable skills that most other districts indicate in their portrait of a graduate, like, you know, that they're creative thinkers, they're creative thinkers, they're good collaborators. Um, we have responsible citizens and, you know, financially literate, those kind of things. So we have those eight things highlighted on the front page of our transcript and students earn credits in those areas. So you can really see as soon as you look at a student's transcript and there's a digital copy of that as well, that's always available for students that highlights the evidence that they've put in for that work. But you can see right away that, Hey, this student is an excellent critical thinker and a creative and design thinker. And, uh, and that just really highlights their personality a lot more than you'd see in a letter grade system. And as they apply to colleges with those specialties, maybe it's MIT for a student like that, who's going to a college that uh, expects students to be uh, critical thinkers and creative thinkers, then, then that really kind of highlights their skill set where they may have a, a lower threshold in collaboration or other things. And you'd see that just looking on the front page of their transcript. So that's something that definitely we are, um, we are doing this year and we'll be sending our first master transcripts this year to institutions because it's our first year in business at Launch High School. But many other schools have been doing this for uh, at least a couple years now. So this awesome. is exciting work. So with that in mind, um, you know, obviously K through 12 institutions are kind of maybe set up in a way because of the way the college institutions are set up. Uh, what kind of front loading work? I mean, what, what's the answer, you know, for people to do this on a wider scale to get colleges to buy into this? I mean, did you guys have conversations with some colleges? Are there, are there just a few? Are there some colleges says, no, we're not accepting that transcript? Um, you know, we, we, we have to letter grades. Right. I mean, what kind of work have you done with colleges to, to kind of get them to accept this system? Well, and so part of that is with our partners. Master Transcript has a whole team that works with colleges. So anytime we're going to send a transcript, a master transcript to a college, they first call their admissions team, explain the transcript, go through the whole thing so that they're aware. Um, I'm sure there will be some colleges that will just hold out and say, hey, look, uh, unless you can convert this to a traditional GPA, I'm not interested. Uh, in our state, luckily, and I see many states moving this direction, there's actually been law passed that uh, all universities in our state need to accept a competency-based transcript. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's really helpful for our local kids, our kids who want to attend any school within our state. That's kind of automatic. But um, in other states, you know, we have to work with uh, the local institutions to try to find a way to, to make it work. And many of them are willing to take a look at something that's much deeper than what you'd see on a traditional GPA scale, right? Um, in fact, 
if I were to send, and if there's ever a, an institution that won't accept a master transcript, our plans is to simply send them a transcript showing that the student is competent and has mastered all of the coursework that they've done, uh, because that's what we expect at Launch High School, which will, will reflect primarily mostly A grades. And uh, so the way, the, how do you differentiate between, and this might be a question of yours as well, how do you differentiate between students who are 4.0 students and have them stand out Right. And master right. transcript or something similar, this badging kind of system is really a great way to do that because it highlights, hey, this student, yeah, they, they, they mastered the basics of their coursework, right? Like every other 4.0 kid. But they also have these skills that are, you know, they're a creative thinker. They're an excellent and outstanding communicator. Uh, they know how to work with a team. I mean, those are skills that colleges are always looking for anyway uh, to make sure the students not only enter college, but they complete college, right? That they're resilient. And can complete it so mm -hmm. well ultimately and i guess i guess you know put your money where your mouth is i mean uh -huh. act's sat scores i mean if if the kid does really well on one of those tests yep. you know that should kind of speak for itself that it that it's working it, it's one thing if you're trying to present a mastery transcript of a student that's done all these things and it scored really low on one of those one of those tests so i'm, I'm thinking if you have the two combined obviously that should speak for itself it should, it should. And, um, and in some cases, uh, in many cases, most of the universities in our state right now are moving away from ACT requirements uh, at the schools as far as admissions. And, and in my mind, anything we can do to get away from this one number indicator of how good a student is overall is a win for students, right? If we can get away from, hey, you're a 30 on the ACT, or hey, you're a 4.0, um, or hey, you're a 3.7, whatever. Uh, we can get away from that and start to see, and this is a problem for colleges, I'll admit it. They're going to have to take a longer look at students. They're not going to be able to just say, hey, here's the comparison. But frankly, they should. I don't want people looking at my kids like a number. They want, you know, I want them to look at them for who they are, what their skill set has been, maybe the evidence of what they've done. That'd be a heck of a lot better than just saying, hey, here's your number. Getting yeah. wider out, you know, so... So I think, I think this transitions well into the question of paint your ideal, your dream state of what, what does this broader system look like for education? What would, what would that look ideally for you? I'm really passionate about students taking on work that's meaningful, as I mentioned at the top of our, our interview. And so I want students to take on work that's going to be transferable, that applies kind of what they've learned in their courses but in a way that's going to be something that's memorable and meaningful for them, that solves problems that they're interested in. Um, at our school and in our district, we use design thinking and uh, we go through the whole design thinking process to try to connect one, their curriculum to a, a real problem, but two, have them, you know, really work on uh, coming up with prototyping and uh, implementing a solution with local organizations. I think if we get to the point where students can do more of that work, then mm -hmm. we're in a great place. There's a lot of movement right now at the state policy level, even at the national level, and certainly at the local level, where you're seeing a lot of districts and charters and other things moving this direction um, and really taking on the idea of change making and difference making as a core value at their school and highlighting it, uh, not just as a, an aside to what's important at the school, but really the focus. I mean, at, our, at launch, we have you know 50% or more of their time is spent on that kind of work. Mm -hmm. uh, less than 50% is spent on the basics of what they need to know to meet the standards. I mean, we really give them the basics and then have them apply something. And, and that's my, 
my dream, whatever shape that takes in, in different states and in different areas. But that's what I would like to see uh, available to my kids as they grow older and to all kids is that kind of opportunity. So let me ask you this, because and, and here's the deal. This is probably going to be like a viewpoint that is not shared by educators, um, by a lot of educators. But and I know that the, the traditional goal has always been let's get these kids to college. And, and let's go to college. Um, the bottom line is, is college is really expensive. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And with the way that you guys have your standard, you almost have your standard. And I did some research and I'll, I'll put this article from the, the 74 million that I, and it's a really short article. Um, and I'll put that in our show notes for people to read, but you guys are essentially, your transcripts are kind of like a LinkedIn page, you yes. know? Um, and I'm certain, you know, and we don't need to get into the details. I mean, you can if you want to, because I know that we, we don't want to keep you here forever. Um, but um, these LinkedIn transcripts can be used to kind of show corporations what we're capable of. I mean, I remember I was talking to my brother years ago, and, and I don't have this for a fact. I've never looked up this article that he was talking about. But he's saying that there are some pretty big organizations that, that their strategy now is to go to high schools and say, hey, let me talk to the top 5% of your class and, and actually just taking them from high school and, 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 and skipping the college and say, you know what? I can teach you everything you need to know. I just need people that can learn. Yep. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, are you experiencing any of that? Have you guys established some partnerships with local um, uh, corporations or businesses to where kids are just skipping college and going straight to the workforce? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. We have, uh, in fact, one of our business partners at the school, that is their entire motivation for why they come and work with our kids. Oh, that's cool. And they see they're a cybersecurity firm in town uh -huh. and uh, they say, Hey, Corey, I just want to be there so I can, I can get kids who interested in cybersecurity and then snag them over when they're done in school. And uh, that's great. I, that's great for employers, but it's also great for our students um, that if we focus on these essential human transferable skills, Right. The things that, like you said, if, if you have those skills, you can learn anything, uh, whether it's with an employer or if I want to learn to start my own business. And um, I can I can do that if I have these essential skills, those portrait of a graduate kind of skills. Right. If I'm a great communicator, if I can if I can do things uh, that are hard and be resilient, then I, I can be successful at anything. We, we have failed for a long time, I feel like, in education to really put a focus on that, because now that we're beyond um, the information age where you can just pull out information so quickly. We really need to be focusing on what's going to help our students to be in any career at any point in their future, prepare them for anything and not just for something, if you get what I mean. And that, and that's, and that's the benefit, whether, whether that's right out of high school, whether that's going through a four-year institution, starting your own business, whatever that is, you know, we need to prepare them for it. Do you have anything else that you want to, cause we're going to wrap this up here in a minute. Um, just that, that we haven't talked about that you feel, you know, is just important for people to, to hear. Cause really all we're trying to do is open up people's minds. I, I think everybody knows, you know, nobody's in education that, that thinks, man, I have found myself a perfect system that just really clicks and works. I mean, you know, you could talk to all kinds of teachers and everybody's got a complaint about something. I mean, that's just the way the world works. Um, but in terms of just closing us up, do you have any last minute thoughts about um, 
Yep. Something you want to leave us with about the general topic that we've been talking about. Well, the interesting thing that is a side note um, to once you start getting into really understanding this idea of standards-based and competency-based and personalization, the direction that a lot of people go with that is an entirely tech-based platform where students move through a checkpoints of skills and that's what their education is based off of. And it's really becomes very automated, you know, and, and uh, not a whole lot of what I'm actually interested in most, which is developing these human skills, these transferable skills. My biggest fear in education is the move to personalization actually automates education to a point that we do not focus on what's important, that we focus only on what's uh, standard and written into law. Mm. And, um, my newest position just recently over the last couple of weeks, I've been um, given the direction from the district to direct all of the online programs in our district. And congratulations. I, yeah. Wow. The, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm enjoying it so far, but there's, I don't uh, really have a, a way to um, weigh this out quite yet. Cause it's not fully done, but my goal is not to just simply lay out a bunch of programs that students can whiz through and check off, mm -hmm. but instead that they do the basics, like I've mentioned before, in that kind of format, but they really go deeper and they take their learning and apply it in meaningful ways. And that can be done online, remote, homeschool programs that we support, all these kind of things. Otherwise, if we just continue to focus on narrow set of standards and skills, then uh, as, as you may have heard me say in my TED talk, you know, if we don't like change, you'll like irrelevance even less. Yes. Because will be automating away many of the jobs that I think are most important in education, which is the educator's interaction with the student and focusing on meaningful work and not a series of routine skills, factual knowledge, you know, those kind of things. So, yeah. And that can be a whole nother episode and a whole, whole number topic because I, I, so many, so we just have to humanize our students sometimes, you know, sometimes yes. teachers just kind of see them as like these little like Lego pieces in front of them that are kind of in the way of them getting to do what the, you know, and, and we forget that we're dealing with little people. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, shoot, I was doing, I was doing PD today, you know, and I ask a question and it's like crickets, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, and I'm thinking, you know, when you guys are teaching and you ask questions and no kids ever respond, you get so mad. And, and here I am trying to teach you and you got nothing. So, I, I mean, so relationships are a very vital, important piece of relationship because we're, we're developing the whole person, not just, a person that wants it's we're not teaching computers we're teaching people and that becomes even more apparent when you're doing remote learning when you're doing online programs mm -hmm. that, that difference of hey are these just a set of students that i never really see or interact with or ever go into anything deep about but i'm just making sure they're engaging in you know this TikTok of of simple curriculum um we can't, that's not the future of education, folks. I mean, it's, it's an easy solution for tech to say, hey, here, I've got a platform for you. You got the money, I'll switch you. For, you know, I just, that's not the future in my mind. Right. But it could be easily confused that somebody like me who's forward thinking, looking at personalization and competency base, that that's what I want. And I couldn't be farther from it, so. Right. That's Thank good. You. We're glad, glad you said that. Well, listen, um, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I am going to put you on the spot because we Go always close our episodes with kind of like a strategy of the week. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So usually it's something that maybe I see in a walkthrough that I thought was really cool or something I read about, but, you know, just to kind of close us out, you know, if, if you, if you're, you know, you're, um, mm -hmm. this is your last speech, you know, what is 
your go-to strategy that you've just your favorite instructional strategy that you can leave our listeners with? Well, instructional strategy. Um, I'm going to broaden it out to be something that I see our, our teachers doing that I just love and it's employing the design thinking process and really being a mentor in that process, having the teacher as designer mm -hmm. uh, instead of uh, the teacher as anything else um, and working with them as a co-designer on uh, these kind of projects, these meaningful projects, sitting beside students, giving them feedback on their work um, coaching them through. That's the role I want to see for teachers. That's where teachers come to life in that because they find their passion for why they, why they wanted to connect with students on a daily basis. Um, some, some teachers, I suppose, get into the profession because they want to be great stand-up artists and, and give great speeches and orators. And that's, that's cool. But um, I think people really come to life when they begin to work one-on-one -on -one or in small groups with students. So target instruction uh, Data-driven target instruction might be the, uh, the, the more Hattie comparable uh, research strategy, but I'm I'm you really like Hattie. Yeah, uh, but I'm I'm talking more about um, I guess this bigger philosophy of being a, a co-designer and a coach and mentor. Uh, excellent. Well, excellent. Well, listen, Corey, we thank you so much for your time. We're honored that you came on and spent uh, a few minutes with us. And, and we're going to put, uh, I, I don't know, you want to give yourself a plug and, and tell uh, listeners how they can get a hold of you if they want to explore this topic a little bit more with you? Yeah, I'd be happy to um, talk to anyone further about this. this. is clearly something I'm passionate about. You can find me on Twitter at uh, Corey Henwood, C-O-R-Y-H-E-N-W-O-O-D, or uh, my website, CoreyHenwood.com. I'd be happy to work with you further. Uh, again, something I'm passionate about, uh, proliferating and empowering future of education with, with anybody who, who wants to work with me. So, Good. Excellent. Thank you. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate your time. Thanks, you guys. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Wow. What do you think of that, Ryan? That was awesome. That was good. Corey is quite a guy. Great to hear from him. I'm just excited to hear someone like that being an education change maker, uh, doing good things where he's at out in Utah. So what, what kind of takeaways you got? We're going to wrap this episode up with some takeaways from today. Uh, Corey was talking about how we, in the excitement of this digital age and, and thinking about credentialing and tracking things and how technology uh, has come to the forefront in all of our, uh, you know, virtual COVID world right now, how it could be easy to get focused on the technological aspect of things or the digital aspect and, and how it's important for us to ultimately focus on, we are teaching people and uh, focus on those uh, personal skills that we want these kids to have. Absolutely. And and I guess what, what I like the most about it, uh, of having Corey on, is, is that it, it gives me hope that the things that we've been talking about, it they are actually happening they in are. places. Um, you know, one of the things we talked to Corey about is that, you know, I don't I don't think there's an educator in the world that that feels that they have arrived and work for the perfect system. I mean, everybody's got something that they feel could change. And what's what's hopeful about talking to a guy like Corey is that things are changing. And and I guarantee it that they've got teachers in their district that that have some complaints. I mean, nothing's perfect. But, but we're starting to move in to the right direction. And, and that is inspiring to me. And hopefully uh, at some point in my career, I can be a part of, of a school district that, uh, that starts to make some of those drastic changes. Exactly. 
All right, well, that was our first episode in a grading sequence, a sequence of episodes that we're going to talk about letter grades. Um, we have used this girl as the tweet of the week in the past, but we are very excited that next week we're going to have Johanna Brown with us. From Pullman, Washington. Outstanding chemistry teacher who has um, works in a district that she has uh, been given the autonomy to, to start teaching without using grades. And, and we're certainly curious about... Uh, how that's going and, and how the students and the and the parents are receiving that and we're just we're super excited to have her on next week so make sure you come back next week and uh, and listen into what Johanna Brown's got going on in Pullman Washington as always you can get a hold of us at our email address the peg doesn't fit at gmail.com what's your Twitter Ryan I don't remember. Oh my gosh. I, Ryan, I'm working with him. Ryan D. Bartle 1. I don't look at my own. I just look at others. At Ryan D. Bartle 1, or you can reach me at Eric J. Stephen. We will be putting some, uh, some links to some articles in our show notes. We'll put a link to Corey's TEDx talk and, uh, and his website and how you can contact him. And we just really appreciate that you have stuck around with us, and we look forward to seeing you next week.